Hello and welcome back to the Big Story Podcast. I'm your podcast storyteller Ranjit and I'm going to talk to you today about a very interesting story that's developing in the field of Harappan studies and ancient genetic science. This story is centered around the discovery of a skeleton belonging to a woman who lived around 4 and a half to 5000 years ago in the ancient city of Rakhigadi in Haryana. Ever since the discovery of her skeleton and the subsequent DNA analysis conducted on it, newspaper columns, social media platforms and public forums have been abuzz with activity. The reason for this flurry of activity are three contentious points that have emerged from this research. The fact is that a lot of people have made their own assumptions without even going into the report and trying to understand the complete context in which it was published and that has led to a lot of misinformation being spread around and there were some things you know in the title of the report which actually led to a lot of this speculation so the title of the report says an ancient harappan genome lacks ancestry from steppe pastoralists or iranian farmers as soon as people read this title they made their own conclusions that it means harappans never had any iranian genes they never had any central asian genes and there was an entire indigenous development of the indian civilization this could not be further from the truth and we will understand in this podcast why i say that but before i get there let's go back to what are those three contentious points which have come out in the public forums and that are being so hotly debated upon the first point is that since the harappan dna did not show any traces of iranian farmers as the title says even the vedic society which developed later on must have come entirely from descendants of the harappans alone without any intervention or interloping with iranian or central asian people that's the first debate point that is uh, heard everywhere on social media the second one is about harappans migrating out of south asia and that's now being termed as the out of india theory just the way uh, an out of africa theory emerged after a lot of uh, research and genetic uh, analysis where the world at large realized that the earliest humans probably came out of africa but the out of india theory is a bit of a speculation because there were some individuals found in places like iran and turkmenistan whose ancestral profile matches that of the rakhigadi woman and because of this now people are being led to believe that actually south asians went out and it's not the other way which means that it's not iranians and central asians who came into south asia leading to development of agriculture leading to development of the indo-european languages and also the society that formed later on the third point that's again being argued about is whether the absence of central asian or steppe pastoralist genes in the harappan dna also meant that the indo-european languages did not come from the west so these are three points which you know i have seen being debated upon argued upon and people are really getting very heated uh, the conversations are not you know remaining necessarily very civil on social media around these topics so let's try to get a little context of who were the harappans who are leading to you know so much speculation and so much rage on social media 
the harappan or indus valley civilization it has always baffled archaeologists right from the time when it was discovered so it was in the early 1920s that the sites of harappa and mohenjodaro were discovered and excavated by john marshall an archaeologist from the british uh, government and even at the beginning uh, when some of his indian assistants including uh, dr bandarkar arrived at this site even they thought that this site couldn't be older than about 250 years but quite soon they all changed their opinion because there were distinct parallels that could be drawn between these sites and the sites of the mesopotamian civilization which had already been proven to be a few thousand years old so now indian history was suddenly being pushed back by a few thousand years we've come a long way from these initial discoveries and as of today we understand a lot more about the harappan people how they lived what they ate uh, what kind of cities they built so there's a lot of knowledge that's become available thanks to the development of science thanks to the development of research technologies like radiocarbon dating uh, and also the dna analysis that's the basis of this paper that we are talking about so what we now believe is that based on scientific research uh, there were three phases to the harappan civilization the early mature and late phases and these phases spanned almost 2 millennia of time which means almost 2000 years between 3300 BCE and 1300 BCE these date ranges keep getting adjusted as newer discoveries are made because since harappa and mohenjodaro were discovered we have now uh, knowledge of almost 2000 harappan sites in south asia that's no small number by any measure and because of that the dating of these sites the dating of the civilization keeps on getting readjusted but broadly this is the range that most historians and archaeologists agree upon then there are also pre harappan sites which have uh, been there as early as 7000 years before the common era that puts them almost 9000 years before us and there's evidence of agriculture as well as goat or sheep herding in these sites suggesting that perhaps these pre harappan sites helped the harappan sites to evolve into an urbanized phase the harappan civilization was a very uh, urban civilization it is symbolized by the presence of large buildings wide roads drainage systems granaries water tanks uh, then there are terracotta or clay artifacts like seals bangles and toys and most importantly there are standardized units of measuring weights which also tells us that this civilization had come to that phase where they were using standards to conduct business and trade in their society there's also the presence of burials in many harappan sites and this again talks about uh, a very civilized phase of humanity because these burials are not simply pits into which you know skeletons are laid down but they contain very interesting grave goods as they are called so these are uh, pieces of earthenware mostly pots uh, vases dishes bowls and sometimes there are also pieces of jewelry uh, jewelry made of uh, some precious metals like gold uh, there's also jewelry made from bead stones and this is sometimes found on the persons of the dead of the dead who are lying in these pits 
But what's interesting is the way these bodies are placed. It's placed in the north-south direction, which is the orientation that Indians and particularly Hindus follow even today when they lay their dead on the funeral pyres. So it shows some sort of continuity in the belief system starting as early as the Harappan times. And even the grave goods are always placed at the northern end of these skeletons. So there are a lot of these interesting things that come out as Harappan sites are discovered. But what we definitely know is that the Harappan civilization did reach a peak of urbanization where they had densely populated cities. Uh, they had even communal habits like having public baths. So there's a lot of evidence supporting a very urbanized and civilized society. But the hardcore evidence for ancestry is coming from genetic analysis and that's where the Rakigari woman's DNA becomes all the more important for us to understand who were the earliest ancestors of the South Asians. Now Rakigari is a small village in Haryana in the Hisar district and this was identified as a large Harappan site somewhere in the 1970s. But it wasn't until 1997 that excavations took place at this site. And the early excavations that happened actually revealed that besides the usual features of a Harappan site, Rakigari also had a large burial or a large cemetery at the northern end of the village. Dr. Amarindranath, who led the excavation at Rakigari, placed the size of this site at around 80 to 100 hectares. And there are later reports that even claim that this site could be as large as 300 hectares. But even if we consider the modest estimate of 80 hectares, the site becomes comparable to Mohanjodaro and Harappa. What Dr. Amarindranath's excavations revealed is 11 burials and about 8 complete skeletons. Along with these skeletons and skeletal remains were also found, as always, a lot of grave goods. And these grave goods were again placed at the northern end of the burial pits. The next set of excavations actually took much later. It only happened between 2013 to 2016. And this effort was led by Dr. Vasant Shinde, who is the vice chancellor, the former vice chancellor of the Deccan College in Pune. And he was joined in this effort by some South Korean experts who were uh, experts in forensic analysis in the archaeological or anthropological context. In fact, uh, these South Korean experts are, as of now, trying to reconstruct what a Harappan person may have looked like. They're actually trying to reconstruct the face of a Harappan person because part of their team also specializes in uh, dental forensics. So I'm sure that will again, you know, uh, raise a lot of interest because uh, imagine what a Harappan would look like. Dr. Shinde and his team chose to focus on the cemetery which was spread out over the 7th mound in Rakhigadi and soon enough they exposed 53 graves with 46 complete skeletons. This was a big discovery and it raised hopes of finally extracting DNA samples from a Harappan site. Indian archaeological sites, particularly the really old uh, archaeological sites, very rarely provide usable DNA samples and this is because of the nature of the soil composition, high levels of humidity and heat and also soil and water erosion that takes place. Therefore, with great care, the Rakhigadi team attempted to extract DNA from the ancient skeletons. There were in all 61 specimens which included the 46 complete skeletons but also some of the graves had uh, skeletal remains which were also included in these specimens. 
These uh, genetic material samples were then sent to Dr. David Reich, who's a genetic scientist in the Harvard University in the US. And he conducted DNA analysis on this genetic evidence, which has become the basis of the paper that we are discussing here. What Dr. Reich and his colleagues at Harvard discovered is that out of all the 61 Rakhigadi specimens, only one specimen, and that is the Rakhigadi woman that we talked about earlier, only her specimen had very promising genetic material, something that could be worked upon. And what they discovered in there are two lines of ancestry coming into this woman, one from early Iranians and the second from Andamanese or uh, South Asian hunter-gatherers are, as they are called. So these are very ancient South Indian ancestors of ours. So they found these two lines of ancestry coming in and they tried to then further analyze who were these early Iranians that were featuring in this DNA composition. But what it also told them is that this Rakhigadi woman's ancestry profile being so unique in the South Asian context, she would have been one of the earliest ancestors in the Harappan civilization. But she was not alone in this ancestry mix. In fact, uh, there were some cousins, if I may call them, uh, and they were found in far-off places like Iran and Turkmenistan. And this became a bit of a puzzle for everyone to solve. So let's look at, you know, who are these people who had similar ancestry profile as a Harappan woman, but their bodies were recovered in such far-off places. To understand that, we will have to go back to March 2018 when another research was published by actually one of the co-authors of the September uh, research paper. His name is Dr. Vagish Narsimhan. He's also based out of the Harvard University. And his paper actually talked about a newly discovered Indus periphery group. That's what he called these people. And when he conducted his research, actually there were only three specimen available to him. And these were out of some 362 individuals whose genomic sample had been studied. And these uh, 362 individuals were from different parts of Iran as well as Central Asia and South Asia. Now, Central Asia is typically uh, present-day uh, regions of Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, uh, and Turkmenistan. So, there were samples from all of these regions. And out of that, there were three outliers. One from the Gonur site which is in Turkmenistan, and two from the village of Shari Sokta, which is on the eastern Iranian side. And these uh, three individuals had very similar ancestry profile, and their ancestry profile surprisingly revealed uh, a proximity to the South Asian hunter-gatherers, or the Andamanese hunter-gatherers, that were discovered as ancestors also to the Rakhigadi woman. So at that point, uh, Dr. Narsimhan, when he published his research, the Rakhigadi woman's uh, DNA had still not been completely analyzed. So he wasn't even sure that, you know, something like this would be found at one of the Indus Valley sites. Uh, but based on what he had found, here's what uh, he came out with as a few inferences from his research. Firstly, it was clear that these people had... Uh, cultural contact with the Indus Valley sites and that's partly because of the DNA containing uh, South Asian hunter-gatherer genes 
but also because of some material evidence in their graves that suggested they had a lot of contact with the Indus Valley people. And uh, the main conclusion that was drawn from here was that the spread of Indo-European languages must have happened with this kind of southward movement of Iranian populations into South Asia. Because these three individuals also had majorly the Iranian DNA and uh, in fact in some of them it was between 50 to 90 percent. So obviously these people held a very strong ancestry route you know in Iran or the Iranian plateau and probably people like them would have moved southward into South Asia, come into contact with the Andamanis hunter-gatherer people and then formed a new clan or a new um, ancestral profile which Dr. Narsimhan now called the Indus Periphery Group. The paper also stated that without DNA of individuals buried in the Indus Valley sites themselves, it was difficult to say that the ancestry profile of these outliers could be applied to the entire Indus Valley civilization. It was still 2018 and this would change as we know once the Rakigadi woman's DNA was analyzed. Also, what was added to this group of Indus periphery um, uh, individuals is eight other specimens that were found in the Gonur and Sheri Sokta sites. They also showed ancestral roots back to very early Iranians and to the Andamanese hunter-gatherers. So now you have 11 people who are not in Indus Valley sites, but in sites like Turkmenistan and Iran. Uh, and then you have one individual in the village of Rakhigadi in Haryana. Based on this, it looked plausible that the Rakhigadi woman and the 11 outliers were part of the same ancestral profile. And together they were given a new name called the IVC Klein. Klein stands for genetic variants. The IVC Klein raised another important question. Were these South Asians who had migrated to Iran and Central Asia? Or were these Iranians or Central Asians who had migrated to South Asia? So the question was, which way was the gene flow? Was it from the uh, Iranian and Central Asian regions to South Asia or the other way? Logically, the higher composition of Iranian ancestry would make us believe that the, it was the Iranians uh, who had probably you know, moved southwards and mixed with South Asians. But the researchers of the September 2019 paper think otherwise. And they believe that these were South Asians who had migrated northwards since their discovery sites had shown cultural contact with the Indus Valley sites. They also believe this because they were 11 amongst 44 specimens found in uh, Gonur and Shahri Sokta. And they are only 25% of that population and they do not show the same ancestry profile as the remaining uh, 33 specimen. So according to them, uh, this becomes a very rare ancestry profile to belong to that region. And hence, these must have been Harappans who probably moved out of South Asia and spread their genes in the uh, Iranian and Central Asian region. Also, they think that uh, because the Rakhigadi woman was found in Haryana in an Indus Valley site, it's very unlikely that she would have migrated from the Central Asian region down to South Asia. Given that, you know, it's a rare ancestry profile uh, in context of the Central Asian or the Iranian region. This inference has led many people to believe that uh, the out-of-India theory is possible. And the out-of-India theory basically states that it was South Asians who moved into other parts of Asia 
and took their culture to these parts of you know asia like iran or like central asia now we cannot say that with certainty as we have seen uh, there is more reason to believe that the outliers or the 11 individuals outside of south asia actually had a lot more iranian genes to them and these iranian genes were also further studied and what uh, researchers found out is that these genes did not belong to later iranian farmers but they belong to very very early iranian farmers or we may call them very early iranian ancestors because we don't know if they had already learned farming because their genes go back to almost 12000 years before us and that's almost 4000 years or 5000 years even before the harappan civilization so given all these complexities it's hard to say um, which theory is correct but right now there are a lot of ideological groups which would like to believe that it was south asians who went outward and that's why there is a pushback from the scientific community and you know from various thinkers that we should not jump to such conclusions based on just 12 individuals whose uh, dna has been studied and out of which only one individual belongs to an actual indus valley site lastly comes the question of languages and culture the prevailing assumption has been that the spread of indo european languages took place with the migration of iranian farming populations who brought with them advanced knowledge of agriculture and they entered south asia and they mixed with the local population and that's how the post harappan culture developed but the latest report does not reveal the dna of later iranian agriculturists at least in the rakhigadi women and therefore if we assume that the rakhigadi women did not have uh, later iranian genes and hence harappans uh, never interloped with uh, iranian farming populations that's fine but what about the later uh, period like what about the period after the harappan civilization went into decline now that's where both the papers agree that somewhere between the second half of the second millennium or the first half of the first millennium there was a mixing of populations and this would have happened between populations actually uh, coming from central asia not even iran we are talking about central asia now and that's because present day indian populations interestingly belong to a haplogroup or what you call a genetic population that is labeled r1a some people even give it a very racial connotation of the aryan gene uh, but basically this r1a haplogroup has its largest membership in the central asian region and lot of north indians on an average i would say about 20 to 30% of north indians belong to this haplogroup and within that there are certain communities and certain castes which have maintained marriages within their communities and castes they show even as high as 60% occurrence of this haplogroup uh, in individuals belonging to those communities so to explain that or explain that away with the absence of central asian or pastoralist uh, genes in the rakhigadi women is not possible because we have to understand that post harappa there could have been tribes from central asia which moved in to south asia in the northern northwestern parts and probably they mixed with the ancestors like the rakhigadi women or the 11 outliers uh, that were found in iran and turkmenistan and perhaps they created the next phase of indian civilization and since both papers you know agree on this 
right now it would be incorrect to make an inference based on no scientific basis that this event never occurred the other historical support for this hypothesis is that uh, the vedic hymns which are our earliest uh, historical sources to the period after the harappans the vedic hymns often refer to horses and chariots when they talk about their gods like indra varun or the ashwins and they go to lengths to describe the horses to describe the spoked wheels of the chariots so if the vedic hymns contain these references where are they coming from because we know that the harappan civilization until now has not revealed any visual images or any kind of art form that depicts either horses or chariots on the other hand it is a well established fact that it was the central asian people who first invented chariots with spoked wheels and that is why a large part of the scientific community the historian community wants to still believe that it was central asians who came in somewhere during the vedic period or they are the ones who created the vedic society along with the uh, descendants of the harappans and that's how the indian civilization moved forward but there's a lot of opposition to this because there are groups that would like to see a continuity without any kind of interference without what they call outsider influence on the indian culture so until we find more genetic evidence in harappan sites it would be incorrect to assume the absence of central asian influence but controversies are not always based on facts they are most of the times based on ideological uh leanings they're also based on faith which can blind people on either side of the argument into trying to prove their predetermined conclusions by even going to lengths of tweaking scientific discoveries i hope we all learn from past mistakes and not let this fantastic piece of research turn into a tool for divisive politics or racial disharmony in such cosmopolitan times In fact in the paper I somewhere read the researchers refer to the Harappan society as a cosmopolitan society and that gives us even more reason not to throw away such a beautiful legacy. I hope you enjoyed this bit of information and now have a little more appreciation of the Harappan civilization as well as the continuous research that happens in the background which helps us to understand where we actually came from. So until another interesting episode on the big story goodbye from me. Keep listening, keep exploring.